0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit Away from me, you evildoers.
1: Good morning, everyone. David, thank you for reading for us. And if we haven't met before, my name is Pete Scammon. I'd love to say hello to you after the end of our formal meeting. And um, for all of us, do keep your Bibles open at that reading. It's page 972 in the Pew Bibles. And also, the bundle you received on the way in contains this um, lemon-colored handout, which um, has an overview of where we're going in the next few moments, if that's helpful to you as we go along. Let me pray for us as we look together at God's word. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is the good shepherd. We thank you that he cares for his flock, that he knows us and he knows the dangers around us. We thank you that he has laid his life down for us to rescue us and save us. And so please help us to listen to his voice this morning, confident that he speaks words of love and of truth for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As the summer holidays begin, I've been reminiscing... Back to the good old days when I was a kid. And at this point in the, in the summer, I would have six, seven, eight weeks of, of loafing around ahead of me. Um, the kind of days where the hardest decision I had to make was whether to watch the cricket on TV inside or outside using my dad's lawnmower extension cable. Um, it, was, it was tough days. Remember those days in the summer? wonderful days. Uh, I also like watching the cycling, the the Tour de France on TV, and I know many of you have been watching it. It comes to the end today, and there'll be many people wondering how to fill that five-hour slot in your day now that it's finished. Um, Of course, one of the most remarkable things about the Tour de France is, um, if if you've seen the pictures of it, how the cyclists whiz along these roads at crazy speeds, and on the side of the roads are hundreds and thousands of people cheering them on. Come on, keep going. Allez, allez, or whatever it is in, in French. And it's a, it's a most remarkable scene as people cheer on these cyclists. Last week, we began a, a series in Matthew's Gospel, and we, we pick things up in Matthew's Gospel right at the end of the most famous sermon in the course of human history, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been preaching to us to show us what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It is the most glorious, beautiful picture of how to live. And as he comes to the end of his sermon, he is urging each one of us here this morning to respond in the right way to that sermon, to respond, to be citizens of that kingdom of heaven. But there is a choice to be made. We saw last week that there is a narrow, unpopular road that few take, but it is the road to life. It is a road that is like living as a citizen of heaven. He wants us to take that road, but there is also a wide road that many take. And that road is like a scene from the Tour de France. It is lined by many voices, many supporters, urging us along that broad road But of course, unlike the Tour de France, the destination of that broad road is not victory and success. But, says Jesus, it is destruction. This morning, the words of Jesus are controversial. In a culture that tells us that every opinion that we hear voiced is equally valid, Jesus simply says that is not the case. The reality, according to Jesus, is that there are many voices in the world urging us to live the broad way. But they are false guides. They are mistaken, misleading us, urging us in the wrong direction towards a path of destruction. And so whether we are new to Christian things or we've been Christian many years, as we think about the decision we all have to make, what way are we traveling? Are we living as citizens of heaven or citizens of earth? We need to realize that there are voices Urging us to go the wrong way. And so the people we listen to matter a very great deal as we make our decisions in life. The big appeal Jesus makes to us this morning is there in the first verse of our reading, verse 15. He says to us, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And that's our first point Watch out for false prophets. The warning is very clear. Jesus often describes the people of God as sheep. And so along comes a leader, a spokesperson who looks like a sheep, a a, a member of God's flock, the real deal. But, says Jesus, they are in fact disguising themselves. Inwardly, they are wolves. And so notice their appearance. A false prophet will not turn up with fangs and a furry tail and a big neon sign saying, danger, watch out, false prophet. No, they will come to us looking like sheep. A prophet is someone who claims to speak on God's behalf. In the Old Testament, we often find a prophet taking God's law And bringing it to bear to God's people. Showing them how they should live out God's law. Bring them back to God's ways. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees had been acting in a very similar way. We see in the Sermon on the Mount that they claimed to know God's law. They claimed to speak on behalf of God. This is how you should live, people. Our way. But over the last three chapters, Jesus has been showing us how poorly... The Pharisees really understood God's law and what it means to be a citizen of heaven. They are false prophets, blind guides, hypocrites on the wide road and urging others to join them on that road. And there are prophets today. There are people today who claim to speak on behalf of God and who understand God's word. They claim to know what it means to be citizens of heaven, but hear the warning of Jesus. Not every person who claims to speak on behalf of God and who claims to know God's word is someone we should listen to. Even if they wear a bishop's mitre or a dog collar or who speak on the radio on behalf of Christ or who write books or publish blogs commenting on social trends, not every prophet is a true prophet. The broad road to destruction is lined with false guides Urging people on, and they are dressed as sheep, but they are wolves. Notice also their motive. Verse 15 again watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Some of you may know that we have a, a small dog, uh, she is pathetic. Uh, If a leaf blows across the path in front of her, she she gets all scared. She's that kind of dog. But um, if you walk into a field with sheep, this otherwise pathetic dog changes. She gets all bristling and she, she charges, snapping and barking, even though she's tiny compared to the sheep. And if that is what happens to a small, pathetic, domestic dog, then just imagine what it's like when a wolf is let loose among the sheep. Terrible damage takes place. The wolf is out to feed themselves and to destroy the sheep. The New Testament warns us in various ways about the dangers and motives of false teachers. There's more than one. But here in Matthew, the Pharisees were performing dramatic acts of righteousness. They were praying eloquent prayers in front of the people in order to impress them about their own righteousness. And when a leader leads that way for their own self-progression at the expense of other people, several things happen. One is that the flock are taught to look at the leader and think much of them instead of looking at Jesus and thinking much of Jesus. The the, the flock is taught that uh, they are failures and the leader alone is success. Look how amazing the leader is in You're rubbish. And the flock is taught that the way to get on in the Christian life is to busy yourself with external performance in order to impress other people, whilst thinking little of what happens on the inside when no one can see. And when these things happen, the leader might look impressive, but the flock is dangerously damaged. I've mentioned before that uh, I was born in the US and moved to the UK when I was six. And without going into all the details, um, the church that we were involved in back in the US were, were, were led by leaders who had the pretense of godliness about their living. They talked a lot about the importance of having wise habits. They, 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 they displayed a life that was full of... Um, careful adherence to laws, and they were concerned about the things that you watched on TV and the kind of cars you bought and where you lived, and they were quick to discipline. If people stepped out of line, they would step in strongly and firmly and put things right, and it was very clear in the church who was boss. But there was also an anger about the way they led, a harshness. And over the years, it became increasingly apparent that beneath this thin veneer of piety, there was a lack of grace, a lack of personal repentance over sin, a lack of integrity. Their style of leadership was all about looking them, making them look powerful and impressive. And their style of leadership cascaded down into the church family, an appetite for legalism. It spread throughout the church family. It produced a, a kind of religious life where it was all about being seen to do the right thing, conforming to the agreed patterns that the leadership had set, even including where you live and the kind of cars you, you, you bought and so on. And it caused many sheep to be greatly damaged. Instead of being fed on the gospel of grace and the kind of life Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, they were being fed a destructive, hollow, performance-based religion with a thin veneer of moralism. And that is something, I think, of what is going on here in Matthew's gospel. The, the Pharisees, the leaders, were using their position of, of leadership to promote their own popularity and power. And in doing so, they were damaging the sheep. They were causing terrible destruction amongst the people. And so Jesus warns us, watch out for false prophets. But next, uh, know how to recognize them. The Bible uh, helps us in many ways to know how to spot false prophets. And again, there are many different kinds to look out for. We did a little series on, in Jude a few weeks ago where... Uh, um, Jude helps us to see um, that the false prophets he were, was writing about, they, their doctrine was wrong. So if you heard them preach, they would deny um, the return of Jesus, uh, the judgment of Jesus. They said that it doesn't matter how we live now. And that kind of false teaching is, you, you hear it and you spot it. But I think here in Matthew's gospel, there's a different kind of falseness going on. They are wolves but disguised as sheep. So how do we spot them? Well, verse 16, Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but every bad tree bears bad fruit. My gardening ability is limited I can uh, cut the grass. I can pull green things out of the ground. That's about it. But even someone with limited garden ability can understand the point of Jesus here. If you want a nice bunch of juicy grapes, you don't go to a thorn bush. It's just the wrong kind of plant. If you want some figs, don't go to thistles. A certain kind of tree will always produce a certain kind of fruit. And the point being made is very simple. We may not always be able to spot the falseness of a prophet early on, but give it time and their true colors will come out. That their true nature will begin to bear fruit in keeping with who they really are. It does take time though. You plant an apple tree tomorrow and it'll take years before you start to enjoy apples from that tree. And so too, a person who claims to speak on God's behalf, it may well take time before their true identity becomes apparent. Over recent years, it's become increasingly popular for people to listen to celebrity preachers online. It's so easy, just with a couple of clicks, you can download a sermon for 30 minutes and you can listen to amazing preaching. And I do that sometimes, I'm not discouraging it, but... There's a danger if we too quickly listen to anyone and everyone online without access to the testedness of their life. Are they known and is the fruit of their lives understood? Or do we quickly and naively listen to anyone and everyone we hear online? There's something very healthy about making the main source of our sermons and preaching input coming from the local church where we have access to leadership, where we can see their lives and talk to them face-to-face and bumble them in the shops down the road and, and see how their lives are panning out over years and listen to those kinds of leaders you can see in front of you. But what kind of fruit should we look out for? Well, I think Jesus shows us in the next few verses. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. It's as if Jesus is giving us in these verses a sneak preview of how he will discern the fruit coming from a person's life. Here is a person coming to Jesus who on the outside is very impressive. They seem to say the right things. They've prophesied and performed miracles and driven out demons. But Jesus says crushingly at the end, I never knew you. There's a a word play going on here that the word for know in verse 23 is the same basic word as a word that he uses for recognizing fruit earlier on in the passage. So how do you know or how do you recognize the fruit of someone's life? Well, here is Jesus, the ultimate judge, saying, I never recognized you. I never knew you. I never never saw the fruit coming from you as being genuine and valid to these people in verses 21 to 23. Why? Why? Verse 21, they have not done the will of the heavenly father. In the last three chapters in his sermon, Jesus has been expounding exactly what that will is. I wish we had time to go through the whole sermon this morning. And if you haven't read it recently, I do encourage you to go back and read it through at some point this week before we continue our series in Matthew's Gospel. But back in chapter 5, he says, Blessed are those poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And by that, he means not just those who refrain from adultery, but those who do not lust as well. He means that not just those who refrain from murder, but also those who refrain from anger. He means uh, those who love their enemies. He means those who do not store treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven, who who secretly are found praying to the heavenly Father. He means those whose main concern is to live a life of humble obedience and private reliance rather than public displays of righteousness. That is the kind of life our Father in heaven is looking for, a life of humility, a person who says, I know I have sinned, Father, please forgive me. Not a person who says, look at me and how righteous I am. And so I think the big mistake of the person in verses 21 and 23 is to focus on externals and not on the inward life of the kingdom that Jesus calls us to. Many years ago, a group from my local church went to hear a well-known but controversial Christian speaker and they were coming to a church near us and so we drove an hour to to attend a meeting where they were at and they spoke for a while and then after they spoke there was an hour or so of of prayer for healing and there was a man who arrived at the meeting in a wheelchair he was prayed for and then dramatically he walked to the front of the meeting and said that tonight he had been healed it was quite a quite a moment on the way home in the car, we were trying to process what we'd seen. Uh, we didn't quite know what to make of this controversial Christian leader, whether he was the real deal or not. Well, then someone would say, well, well, surely if he's just performed a miracle and someone can now walk who couldn't before, then that authenticates his ministry, doesn't it? Well, then we started discussing about whether we could be confident it was actually a miracle. Was this man a plant or was it a real miracle? Um, How crippled was he before the meeting and how well was he now? We just didn't have access to all the information. And that is so often the case, isn't it, when these dramatic things happen? And by the end of the card journey, we just couldn't quite decide what to make of it. But according to Jesus in Matthew 7, we're asking all the wrong questions. There are people who claim to have done miracles. Their claims might be true. They might be false. And notice in verse 22, what Jesus describes, or his concern is not whether or not miracles have happened. He doesn't give us any clarity on whether these people have done miracles or not. We just don't know. He gives his verdict based not on the miracles, but on whether the person has done the will of God in heaven. For some of us here this morning, we need to be careful not to be overly impressed by a person who can perform miracles or at least claim they can. Jesus wasn't impressed. He is much more impressed by the kind of person or kind of leader who who nips off for a secret hour of prayer on his own before his heavenly father kind of leader who knows that they are flawed, who's poor in spirit, He says, Father, forgive me. That's the kind of leader that Jesus is much more impressed by. But Look, it doesn't have to be miracles or prophecy or exorcisms for us to have an unhealthy attraction with superficial qualities. I can think of a famous example of a preacher at a famous wedding recently who delivered a a passionate and powerful sermon all about love, and people were raving about what he said. He was full of empathy. People were drawn to his charisma. We want more of that, please. And there was something powerful about the sermon, but people weren't asking a different question. What's he like away from the public eye? What's his home life like? What's his godliness like? Now, I don't know the answer to those questions, but do you see how easy it is to make an assessment on someone based on a 10-minute sermon? Maybe for us here, we can be impressed by the number of books a person has written or the conferences they have preached at or the countries they have visited or the churches they have planted. Perhaps they use all the right words. They talk about Jesus and God and the need to love and uh, they speak with empathy and kindness. And there's nothing wrong with all of these things. In a sense, we should prize them. But if we forget to ask the other question, we're in danger The other question of whether they are doing the will of our Father in heaven. And so when it comes to fruit, Jesus would say to us this morning that the kind of fruit that comes from a true prophet and the kind of fruit that comes from a false prophet, you'll see it by those who do or don't do the will of our Father in heaven. Those who do or don't take the Sermon on the Mount seriously and seek to live that kind of life. And so as we come to a close, just a few practical considerations for us this morning. Um, First of all, Jesus is not calling us to become a moral police squad where we roam around the streets looking for the faintest um, smell or or, or a kind of hint of of mistake or sin. There isn't... A person on earth, apart from the Lord Jesus, who lived fully like a citizen of heaven. No human leader will ever be without fault. Human leaders do get angry. We can be hypocrites. We do fail to forgive and love our enemies. We all make mistakes. And so I don't want us to be too quick to jump on the bandwagon and say, well, any mistake we see means that person must be a false prophet in this Matthew 7 sense. I think that would be an overreading of the warning here. And I think that's where the idea of fruit is really helpful. Remember, it takes time for fruit to be born and to kind of be seen and visible. And the church I mentioned in the US, the church that we used to be involved in, it, it did take many years for that particular style of leadership to be seen for what it was. It wasn't obvious straight away. You wouldn't get it on one Sunday. But that thin veneer of piety covering legalism and gracelessness took a long time to be exposed. And I think eventually those kind of leaders will be known for what they are. And so I think it's a question of being patient and gracious as we discern. Not looking for one-off failings, but looking for patterns. Second, we're not being called to be judge and jury. Notice Jesus is not Asking us to give the final verdict on someone's life. He's the one who will do that. Notice in verses 21 and 23, he's the one who gives the definitive insights. He's the one who says, away from me. And at times, we simply won't know what to make of someone. Perhaps we don't have enough access, or it's just not clear and it's wonderful to know that we are not given the job of having to make the definitive decision on someone's life. It is the Lord Jesus, the perfect judge who does. So let's be careful in our words and our speech and our action not to be judge and jury, writing people off, but being careful and patient, leaving that to the Lord Jesus. But third, remember, Jesus does say to us, beware. And so don't be naive. We are called to be alert. When we move away um, and go to a different city because of work or studies, don't just go to the first church you find or the nearest one, the most convenient one. Take time to research it. Ask around for people who know the leadership. Are they tested? Are they um, bearing fruit? That can take a lot of work to ask those sort of questions. It might even mean saying no to a job because we just couldn't find a church like that nearby. Just because a person stands in the pulpit here at forward, or at a conference or wears a dog collar or leads a local parish church, that does not rule out the possibility that they are false prophets. And so because the way is narrow that leads to life and is not popular and because the way to destruction is broad and many use it And because there are many lining that broad way, guiding us and urging us to go down it, Jesus says, beware, be careful. But finally, as we finish, come with me and rejoice once again that we have a true prophet. We have the Lord Jesus. He has been expounding God's law through the Sermon on the Mount with the authority no one has ever had in history. But more than that, if you read through the rest of Matthew's gospel, we discover that he is a man who lived as a citizen of heaven like no one has ever lived before. There was no gap between what he preached and what he practiced. The fruit he bore in his life was gloriously keeping with what his heavenly father asked of him. He loved his enemies. He prayed in secret. He was righteous in his life. And He laid down his life for his enemies on the cross that we might be forgiven and welcomed into the flock. He is the one who cares for us. Who can we trust? Who should we listen to? Well, look at the fruitful life of Jesus, how glorious it is, and so know we can trust his words. He is the true prophet, and we thank God for it. Let's pray. Father, we confess this morning these words are are sobering words. We do thank you that they are given to us because of love and for our good. And Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his glorious, majestic, beautiful life of love, of integrity, without hypocrisy, willing to do what he preached And Father, we thank you that he did do your will as he died on the cross. And we thank you that we can trust him with our lives and as our guide. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.